0: Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We're starting a series on the miracles of Jesus, and we're going to look at the first miracle of Jesus, which is such an exciting, exciting miracle, the very, very first. And um, we're reading in John 2, and... I wanted you to look here on the first verse, and I'm just going to simply read it to you. You know, different times when I teach, I teach different, and sometimes I like to just teach out as a lesson, and I always, always want you to bring your Bible so that you can go to the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit highlights for you particularly in your life. But I also encourage you to write things down because you won't remember what you think you're going to remember. And then you'll have some a friend of yours or a child ask you something that you wish you could share what God says instead of what you would say. You wish you could share what the Holy Spirit would say to them instead of what you think or what you feel, and you won't be able to remember. So I am so encouraging you to do that at all times. Reading in in John 2, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And now both disciples and Jesus were invited to the wedding. And they came. And when they came, they ran out of wine. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew... The master called the the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning said to have the good wine when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, and you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You know I've always wondered. Why did Jesus do his first miracle at a wedding? And why did he turn the water into wine? And why did his mother know that he would do the miracle even though his time had not yet come? And I think in the Word there's reasons for this. And this Word of God is so chock full of not only hope and wisdom and and words and healing to us, but it also references out and weaves itself throughout the rest of the Word of God. And it's so exciting to look at. And so I want us to do that this morning. If you look at John 2, 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding. And I want you to think about something. How long was Jesus on the cross? See, on the third day... Jesus rose again, and there was a great wedding in heaven. A great wedding because Jesus' blood allowed us, the bride of Christ, to come to the bridegroom, to be finally united with God. A great wedding on the third day through the blood of Jesus. And so sometimes when you see these things like, oh, on the third day there was a wedding, it looks like, oh, well, who cares? Why did they write that? We need to look at it and ask ourselves, why would it be there? You know, nothing in the Bible is just there because God thought, you know what? I really want to write a certain amount of words because my publisher asked me to. He said, you know, I really want a long book. I want it to last for thousands of years and I want everyone to order it. I want it to be the most popular book ever written. So just make sure it's long. So just throw some words in there if you want to repeat yourself, you know. Like have the synoptic gospels kind of repeat themselves just to kind of fill up some space. That didn't happen. Every word from God is written because there is a reason and it has power. And we need to look at every word from God and, and chew on it like the most delicious morsel that you have ever put in your mouth and realize there is a recent third day there was a wedding. First miracle of Jesus. Completely paralyzing the greatest miracle of Jesus where the third day there was a wedding when He died on the cross and we as the bride of Christ Christ were able to come to the wedding feast. So good. Isn't that good? And now you look at verse two and it says, Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the weddings. You know, I got really curious about weddings and, and the weddings that were happening back then and, and these this may be things you knew, but I want us to throw this out here. I want you to know this because I think it's really interesting. In the weddings, they were always called marriage feasts, by the way. Just like our communion is referred to as a love feast, a love fest. And these marriage feasts lasted about a week. Can you imagine, mothers or brides? I mean, one night is bad enough, you know. Can you imagine a week? But it was a little bit different. They had mostly food and watered-down wine and lots of friends. The guests sat around a great bowl on the floor, and the meal usually consisted of lamb or kids stewed in rice or barley. And the guests were invited by the servants who assigned them their respective places. And this is what I think is so interesting. It was usual to send a second invitation. What does that remind you of? You see, do you remember, if if you have your Bible, go to Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. And there was a king, and he asked. He asked for certain people to come to the marriage of his son. He asked his friends. And I want to read it to you. It says, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for a son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited. See, the servants go and they reinvite who is already invited. But listen, they weren't willing to come. Matthew 22, 4 says, Again, he sent out his servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, and fatted cattle. And all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. one to his farm and another to his business. And on and on the servants go out for the king, who says, come to the wedding of my son. And his friends and family kept saying, no, thank you, no, thank you. What does that relate to? You know, the king of the ceremony of the wedding is God, sending out his servants. Now, in modern day terms, that's us. And we're going to be inviting people to the wedding. Come to the marriage. Come to the wedding. You are the bride of Christ. He has died for your sins. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. We should be able to say, look at me. He loved me. <laughs> and we're going to have a lot of people say, no, thank you. Mm-mm, no. Thanks. And if you look in Matthew 22, verse 14, it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Very sobering, actually. And so in this first miracle, if you go back to John 2, In this first miracle, it says that it was usual to send a second invitation. And that means that just in this wedding feast, here are these people there. And this is the third day. Now, what I think it means when it says third day, I'm just going to back up a little, little bit. Some scholars say that that means it's the third day of that particular wedding feast. But I believe that what it means is that it took Jesus three days, actually, It probably was the third day of the wedding feast, but it took him about three days to get to Cana. And what had just happened in his life is he had just become baptized. What does that mean? Can you see this awesome picture? Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And baptizement means that you go from life to death to life. It represents resurrection power going under the water. Three days prior, Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. And God had said, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. And a dove had rested on his head. And then three days later, he does this miracle. It all ties back in with our salvation our resurrection, our baptizement into the Holy Spirit. It was honored guests that sat the nearest and other behind. And when the whole company was assembled, this is so significant. I'm just reading you information that I learned about with wedding feasts. When the whole company of the wedding, when everyone was there pretty much, the master of the house would close the door. And to me that reminds me so much of another parable of Jesus in Luke thirteen twenty two. It says when he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem, someone said, Lord, are there few who were saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many I say to you will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. You see, it was a tradition back then that if you had a banquet, if you had a party, if you had a wedding, when people were there, the master of the house would shut the door and then the servants would not let others enter. It would be a difficult time to enter in after the master of the house had shut the door. And so I just love to see all this cross-parallelism with the history of the time. And really relating to our lives, too, because there are so many people out there that just think, you know what, I've had them tell me. Kathleen, you know, I really do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I really do. I just want to know that. I want you to know that. Historically speaking, um, I believe He's the Son of God. don't believe all those disciples would die for a lie. Um, I've really done my research, but I want to have my own life. So what I'm going to do when I'm about 85 is I'm going to say, God, now I ask you to forgive my sins and you can be the Lord of my life. And then I'm going to die and go to heaven. And that way I can run my own life and then I can go to heaven. And what that person doesn't realize is you do not know the day when the master is going to shut the door. And that is sobering. You do not know the day. In Luke 13, it says, Once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door and say, Lord, Lord, open it for us. And he'll say, I don't know you. Where are you from? Wow. I thought God was a happy face and a merciful God. He is. But He's also a God of judgment. He's also a God that says, I will honor your decisions. And if you don't choose Jesus as Lord, if you do not want to be with God in love, if you do not choose this on this earth, I will honor your decision for eternity. Jesus is Lord. And God is merciful, but he's also just. And we've got to see both sides. When the whole company was assembled, the master of the house would shut the door. If you look at verse 3, going back to John 2, it says, When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. You know, that just so reminds me of a mom. You know what I mean? Like, she wants you to do something, but she's not going to really tell you she wants you to. So she just says a statement, like they've run out of wine, which means go and help them right now. Which reminds me so much of me as a mother. It's like, oh, did you see that little girl over there? She has fallen down. And I look at my daughter like, go help her, you know. And this is the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus? Can you even imagine? I can't even imagine You know, the mother of Jesus had to wait a long time to tell the world who he really was. And I can't even imagine that as a mother. I mean, if you really knew that you were raising the Messiah, you know, which a lot of mothers think they are. And they're not. But can you imagine really raising the Messiah, the chosen Son of God? And and you want? Tell your friends, you know, they're all talking about, oh, well, you know, my son knows the Torah real well, or my son is just an incredible, you know, whatever, a fisherman, and you want to go, (laughs) you know, my son's the Messiah, and you can't. And Mary was so humble anyway, she didn't have that in her. But I know that for all those years, you know, Jesus did not become um, a, a public minister, so to speak, until he was 30. And so here she is with this man, and she can't wait to tell people who he really is. And she goes to this wedding, and they run out of wine. And she says to them, they have no wine. That's what she says to Jesus. And that is a big disgrace, by the way, in that society, to run out of wine at a wedding. It's not just, oh, they've run out of wine, go get some wine. It's a huge disgrace. And Jesus said to her, verse 4, John 2, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And I just want us to look again at Mary's weight. First, the angel Gabriel tells her when she's like 13 or 14 years old and she's a virgin, i.e. not married for any of you who aren't sure what that means anymore. And the angel Gabriel goes to her and says, You will have the Son of God. You will birth the Messiah. And then she does. And you think about it. Then there's angels and hosts throughout the sky. There's a star. And there's shepherds coming. There are people bowing down to her baby. There's wise men coming from the east, foreigners, to give gifts to her baby. And it says in the Word of God in Luke 2:19 that Mary treasured all these things up in her heart. And what I imagine is that over that period of 30 years where Jesus is growing in the stature and wisdom of God, which is what the Bible says happens to him from his baby time until that 30-year time, she's treasuring more and more into her heart, and she's probably just about to burst. So those are some of the reasons I think that Mary said, hey, Jesus, they don't have wine, and expected him to do something. But I have some other reason that I think she said that, and this is totally personal. You can't find it in the Bible. Other people may not agree with me, but I think Jesus maybe practiced some miracles at home. I do. And the reason I think that is because that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to go out and love other people and not love the people that we're at home with. It's supposed to start at home. I can't tell you how many people I know want to change the world, but they will not even love the people in their own house. It starts at home. So I think Mary had seen him do a few things, maybe. So she knew what he could do, and he does for her this miracle. And this is what's so key in my life. I love John 2, verse 5, it's so simple. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And that is a huge message to us. Nike picked up on it. Just do it. Do you know that Nike means victorious generation, by the way, in the Greek. Whatever He says, do it. Our lives would be so full of blessings and so full of God's glory if we just had that motto of whatever He says, do it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You know, there are certain things that God says in the Word of God that I want to go, but God, you didn't ask my opinion and I don't agree with that. But he didn't ask me, and he didn't ask you. He is God. Whatever he says, do it. There's a reason his ways are higher than our ways. The way that he does things is incredibly bigger and higher, infinitely more than we could ever see. And if we trust him, the Word of God tells us in Ephesians 3.20 that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all we could hope or ask or think. Whatever he does, Say, just do it. Verse 6 says, Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons of peace. And I wanted to just remind you all for some of you and then tell you for the first time for others of you, the manner of purification was that they poured water on their hands and then they rubbed their hands on bread. That was their towels. And the bread that fell underneath the table was for the dog. And if you remember the story of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, 21, she goes to Jesus and she wants her daughter healed. And he says, I can't give you the bread that was supposed to be for the children of God. And she says, but Master, even the dog underneath the table get the bread that has been dropped. And I used to think, oh, well, that's just the bread that people had eaten and the crumbs are there. It's the bread that people had washed their hands on. Do you realize that Jesus is the bread of life and it only takes one crumb to change your whole life? Do you realize that Jesus is the bread of life? He's the Logos Word of God and it only takes one crumb, one scripture, one word from God to change your life? Incredible! We should value the bread of life, the Word of God, Jesus. And we should have that attitude of, God, I'm going to go to that class today, and I know it only takes one word, one crumb, one verse of your word to come in and heal my body, change my life, restore my marriage, help my child. One word, one crumb. We should have the faith of the Canaanite woman. And so here are these water pots, pots are that are for washing hands. And the servant thankfully obeyed what he did. In verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. I love that. It's like when God says do something, you go, hey, I'll do it all the way. Do you see the story here, what the servants did? They didn't have... It's written where it says, Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And the servant said, you know what? You know, why are we supposed to do that? I mean, we've already done a whole bunch of other stuff. And why don't we uh, just fill it kind of, sort of. You fill it. No, you fill it. No, you fill it. You know what? I'm really busy. I can't fill it. Wait, that's my cell phone. You fill it. They filled it to the brim. When Jesus asked you to do something, go, hey, I'll do it all the way. I'll do more. And watch what Jesus will do in your life. And then he said to them, verse 8, draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. They didn't say, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. No, let's not either take it. Let's just tell him to come here. These things are heavy. Why doesn't he come here? Why do we have to take it? Why doesn't he just come on over here? I agree. Jesus told us to take it, but let's not do that. I think it's better if we just have the master come over here. I agree. They don't do that. It says, and they took it. You know, I think it's interesting. I did a little bit of calculations, which I'm not normally very good at, so it took me a long time. But 120 gallons of wine equals 2,004 ounces glasses for the wedding. And then they diluted them by three parts of water. That's a lot of wine. 2,000 glasses diluted by three parts water is a lot of wine. Then the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, it appears here that the master of the feast was an intimate friend of the bridegroom. And, of course, what we know is that this incredible miracle, this first miracle of Jesus, is a picture of Jesus turning us by his blood Into wine, turning us from sinner to saint, turning us from being alienated from God to being acceptable to God. It's interesting to me that the word wine means the blood of the grape. And Jesus turned the water to wine. If you look in verse 10, it says, And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have all well drunk, then the inferior, and you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so I want us to look at verse 11 right there. We're going to land there for a little while, because we should ask ourselves, Why did Jesus, do this miracle. Why? And verse 11 answers it. Two reasons. It answers it. Number one, it manifested His glory. And manifest means to make known and to make clear what was formerly hidden. The miracle shined forth the glory of God. It shone forth the splendor of the Son of God. Verse 11 says clearly that this first miracle manifested the glory of God, manifested His glory. And and number two, number two reason for the first miracle, this changing of water to wine, was that it reinforced His disciples' belief in Him as the Messiah. You know, I saw this verse 11 and it said, the beginning of signs of Jesus did in Cana and Galilee. It manifests glory. And I thought, well, absolutely, that's why he did it. And his disciples believed in him. And I thought, well, his disciples already believed in him, didn't they? They were his disciples, right? But if you think about it, up until this time, they had not seen Jesus do miracles. They were his disciples because, number one, John told them, This is the Son of God. This is Jesus. And some of the disciples were John's disciples. And John said, hey, switch from me to him because I'm really here just to show you him anyway. And he is the Son of God. John 1.34 says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And so some of John's disciples said, whoa, all right, we're switching over to Jesus because John was just the forerunner for the Messiah. And John, whom we trust, says, here he is. And so they believed in him. Number two, some of them were simply told, we have found the Messiah, John 141. Or Jesus mandated to them, follow me, like in Philip, like in the case of Philip in John 143. Jesus just says, follow me. <laughs> or like Nathaniel, Jesus just spoke truth over him, and they followed, like in John 1.47. But they hadn't seen him in action. And so here his disciples have been told, follow this man that is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. But when they saw him in action, they believed even more. You know, if I could say, what is the proof in my life that Jesus is the Son of God? I would say exactly this, that he turned someone who would have naturally been a very anxious, selfish, sometimes I still am, but I don't want to talk about that, person into someone who loves God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. He changes your heart. And that is the first miracle. That should be the first miracle in your life. And that should be the proof in your life that you can share with other people. is look, you know what? I'm not perfect. Never will be. But Jesus continually changes me every day. He changes my heart. He has saved my life. He's given me hope. I have joy. The Word is filling me. I, I have hope in hopeless situations. He's changed the water to wine. And He can do it for you too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank You for Your Word. It's so good. And I thank You today in the name of Jesus that we're not just sitting here listening to a lesson and then going on to the next thing so we can check off our list. We want Your Holy Spirit to come into those places in us that we cannot change. That we are crying out to you to change. That we are asking you to change from water to wine. To be pleasing to you, God. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, to come and change us. Fill us. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. I'm asking in the name of Jesus for your power to come and change those bad habits. Change anger to love. Change resentment, unforgiveness and in, 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 in harboring of ill feelings to total and complete love. Lord, I'm asking you for anyone here who has been deeply hurt, deeply wronged, deeply, deeply, deeply hurt, that you would give them the power to forgive and forget so that they can go on with the life that you have chosen for them. Lord, I thank You in the name of Jesus that Your Word says in Joel 2.25 that You restore the years the locusts have eaten. And we are trusting You that Romans 8.28 is true and that You work all things for good. Even the most horrible things that have ever happened to us. You work them for good in our lives. We have to choose now to trust Your Word. Lord, I pray that these people, instead of going back to wherever they're going, instead of just going back with, okay, well, that was a good message, they will go back changed and renewed and in hope. Father, I ask that you would also come in the name of Jesus and change any addiction or bad habit that anyone in here is wanting to change and they're so frustrated I ask that you would bring the power to change that water to wine, to change that habit or addiction which is not pleasing to you to wine so that they can bring it to you, the master of the ceremony, and you can say, Well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for it is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray now the blood of Christ over our children. And our families, and we claim them to know you in Jesus' name. Thank you.